text for this morning's sermon. We turn back to the book of Luke, Luke 1, 5 through 25. Luke 5, or Luke 1, excuse me, verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn in- and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when, in the, and when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after, the, or after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we look at this account from your word of the kingdom of God breaking forth under the earth, Lord, I pray that we would learn about you. We would learn about your word. Uh, Father, I pray that our faith would grow and that we would have certainty of everything that you say. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. I want you to go back 2,000 years in history with me. 
And I want you to imagine, and I know women, this might be hard, that you're a God-fearing man whose hope is in Yahweh. You live in the hill country of Judea. You're under a pagan Roman Caesar. That's who rules your land. He makes your life miserable by taxing you in an unjust way. He brings you to the point of utter poverty. And to make matters worse, Rome, in an attempt to appease and control your people, he's provided for you a Jewish king of sorts. His name's Herod the Great. That's what they call him, but he's not so great. In fact, he comes from a line of evil men. Though he's a fellow Jew, he seems to treat Yahweh as though he were some mythical character of ancient past. He has no fear for Yahweh. Life is hard for you. You serve Yahweh in his temple a rebuilt temple that's not even close to as glorious as the one your grandfather served in. Hope is waning in Israel. In fact, it's been about 400 years and no word from the Lord, no prophet. But there are some who speak of the prophet Daniel's 70-week prophecy. Quote, from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be again and with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. This seems kind of cryptic to you. If only there was a Daniel who could interpret its meaning today. But some calculate you are within 30 years of its fulfillment. But hope doesn't come easy as life monotonously plods by. You're just one of 18,000 priests who serves in the temple. You hope that one day you might be one of the lucky ones. You might be chosen to enter the holy place and burn incense to the Lord. Maybe someday. You are a God-fearing man, but admittingly one who wonders if God will really keep His promises. Doubt seems to creep into your mind often. You must fight it. Some priests still talk of the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, that maybe He will come soon. But before He comes, they say, one from our own kind, from a priest, from the temple, must come, a forerunner of sorts, to prepare the way for Him. 
they point to the last prophet, Malachi, where he says, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And a messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That's what they say anyway. But it's been a long time and things just seem to be getting worse. You roll out the Pentateuch to read, knowing your faith must grow stronger as you feel the doubt come. And you wonder as you consider Adam and Eve's rebellion. And you see the words of Yahweh, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In such a dark and heavy moment, Yahweh seems to be reversing the serpent's apparent victory. Hope begins to glimmer in your heart. But when? Does he remember this promise? You wonder if you're not interpreting this text correctly. You read on and you cringe as you always do. Every time your eyes fall upon the words, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You think in your heart the promise that Yahweh certainly seems to remember is this one. Tears fill your eyes. This promise curse is all too real for you. If only your wife could feel the pains of childbirth, then they'd be only for a moment. But you and your wife, Elizabeth, feel it every day as you are reminded of the reproach that you have every time you see everyone else's children. You know, people love to debate the reasons, maybe the sins that have closed your wife's womb. Though you used to pray many times a day, believing that Yahweh could open Elizabeth's barren womb like Rebecca's and Rachel's and Sarah's, you now have realized that the pain is here to stay. For you are nearing the end of your days. But God. That's how this story goes. If you read it closely, it's tough days in Israel. It's tough days in Zechariah's life. It's hopeless, so it seems until God enters the scene. Till God shows up. I want you, like Luke wants you, to be certain that God is fulfilling all of His promises in Jesus Christ.
you remember last week, Luke said in verse 3, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Here's the reason he wrote, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. My prayer is, is that you have certainty in the God who fulfills all His promises. The first thing I want you to see in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 is that you must be certain of God's timing. It's not a pleasant time to be an Israelite, but here's what we read in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of, of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. First thing you need to see is that God works in time. God fulfills promises in history. In time, before you were born, God was fulfilling what He promised He would fulfill on your behalf. We live in a day and age that's been affected by philosophers like Kierkegaard and Sartre who brought about an existentialist thought. I don't know if you know what existentialism means. It really came to be popular in the 60s. The first uh, existentialist philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, he lived 1813 through 1855, said this, he proposed that each individual, not society or religion, is solely responsible for giving meaning to life and living it passionately, sincerely, or authentically. And then one who would come after him, Sartre, claimed that the central proposition of existentialism is that existence precedes essence which means that the most important consideration for individuals is that they are individuals independently acting and responsible, conscious beings, rather than what labels, roles, stereotypes, definitions, or other preconceived categories the individuals fit. The actual life of the individual is what constitutes what could be called their true essence instead of there being an arbitrary attributed essence as others used to define them. Here's the key. Thus, human beings, through their own consciousness, create their own values and determine their own meaning in life. Now that might sound like a bunch of confusing language, but the idea is this. Ultimate truth resides in an individual, not outside the individual. 
The person who defines morality and meaning comes within the individuals, what they said. But our text is talking about a time in history. Something that happened before you existed, before you were born. The Bible says, in these days is when you find the ultimate meaning of your life. Truth is outside yourself. Salvation is outside your own mind. It happened at a point in time in history. In fact, it began to break onto the scene in the days of King Herod, king of Judah. And there was a man named Zechariah, and he had a wife named Elizabeth. And he was a priest. And God was doing something in history. Outside of our individual life. What defines our life? Do we? Or does God? Does Jesus Christ? You need to see that you need to be certain of God's timing. I could have a lot of meanings. His timing's perfect, but God works in time. Now he says, the Zacharias of the division of Abijah. The service of the temple was divided into 24 divisions, and each provided for the needs of the temple service for a week at a time, twice a year. During the major religious festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, all the divisions served at the same time. Um, that's a benefit of Robert Stein. There was many priests. There was many divisions. And, and I know when I've read this story and I think of Zechariah, I think, well, this is what he does. Gets up every morning, he goes and burns incense. No, we're reading the story wrongly when we see it that way. The second thing I want you to see here, I want you to be certain of God's timing. He acts in time. His timing is perfect. I want you to be certain of God's sovereignty and suffering. Look at verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But... They had no child because Elizabeth Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now it says both of them walked blamelessly before the Lord. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but that means they're a couple who trust God's Word, who are seeking to live by faith according to God's Word. And do you see the surprising contrast? They're blameless, but yet she doesn't have a child. Here we would tend to think, or at least they did in that culture, that if you didn't have a child, this was punishment from God. But here God's Word says clearly that this suffering they experience doesn't have to do with the fact that they're worse sinners than the other priests and their wives in Israel. 
they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Now, the mention of Zechariah and Elizabeth's childness and their being past the age of, of childbearing, the point is this. If a child's going to come, God's going to have to do a miracle. It's impossible for there to be a child apart for God to act. I think there's no doubt Luke assumes we've seen the trend throughout the Old Testament. Right away, Adam and Eve sinned. There's the curse put on the serpent. There's a curse put on the man's work. And there's this curse of childbearing. There's pain in childbirth. There's stillborns. There's barrenness. Childbearing does not go as it ought. Everybody knows who's been there for a stillbirth that things are not right. When the womb does not open, we see evidences of the curse, and yet the Bible gives us hope that one day these curses are going to be released. And we, every time God seems to work, or at least many times God seems to work, what does He do? He works through the lives of men whose wives are barren. And God overcomes the curse. We can think of Sarah, who was also a pastor years in childbearing. We can think of Rebecca and Rachel, Samson's mother. There's a theme that the Old Testament has already established that when God is opening a womb, God is doing something. Be certain of God's sovereignty in suffering. I know all of you in this room have suffered. I know all of you in this room have wondered why you're suffering. You've tried to figure out the reasons. Well, let me just tell you that usually this side of heaven, we will not understand all the reasons to why they're suffering. Yes, there's times in the Bible where it says it's because of sin, but there's times when it's not like this one where God's doing something. This one, we get to see what He's doing. A lot of times we don't. But the important thing to see is when... Zechariah felt hopeless and nothing made sense. God had not failed to keep one promise. In fact, He was about to keep His promises. So rest not in getting the answer to why do I suffer, but rather rest in the fact that God never falls asleep. He never makes a mistake. He always keeps His promises. He's more wise than you and I. We don't have to know why if we know He's our God. The third thing, be certain of God's hearing and promise-keeping in Christ. Now this point is just too big. (laughs) So we're just going to kind of go through it quickly. Be certain of God's hearing. He answers prayers. We're going to see this. And we're going to see so many promises kept. We read this, it just seems like a simple little story. 
And I just want to flag and highlight, we'd be in this book for 10 years if we didn't go quickly through things like this. Look at verse 8. And and verse 8, by the way, is the but God. (laughs) When you get to verse 8, this is where God enters the scene to this story. This is where hope comes on the table. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. You say, well, how do you know God's on the scene? Because Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. We can see that God is acting, that God is choosing, that God is choosing Zechariah at this time. In Exodus 30, uh, verse 7, here, here's where we're told about how Aaron and his family is supposed to do this. It says, Aaron shall burn a fragrant incense on the altar. Every morning when he addresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. So this is what the priesthood is supposed to do daily. Now this was interesting to me. Since there's so many priests that served in the temple, about 18,000 priests at the time of Zechariah, entering the holy place to clean the altar of incense and to offer fresh incense usually occurred only once in a priest's lifetime. This isn't like his daily duty that every morning he gets up and does this. This is the lot being cast and falling on Zechariah. God choosing him in this moment. And then look at verse 10. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now let's just, let's just think for a minute. As he's going in to burn incense, what would the people outside the temple be praying for? I mean, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But what's the hope of Israel? Israel's waiting for their king. They're ready to get rid of Caesar and they're ready to get rid of Herod. They're waiting for their Messiah and they're waiting for their king. And if they were privy to Malachi 3.1, they were waiting for God to do something in that temple before the Messiah came. They were outside praying. I don't think we should miss verse 10. In verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. This is what happens whenever an angel comes onto the scene. The angel's glory and his otherness instantly makes human beings tremble in fear. When John saw one, he bowed down and started worshiping it. And the angel said, what are you doing? You and I have never seen an angel probably. Well, angels unaware maybe. But not like he saw here. And then look at verse 13. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, 
for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. I love that verse for so many reasons. Let me ask you this. If you could not have children, when would you stop praying for children? You think in your 70s you'd stop praying? My guess, and I don't know, is it's been a long time since Zachariah and Elizabeth were praying for a child that Elizabeth would have. And the first thing the angel says is do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Here's the thing. You might forget your prayers. God does not forget your prayers. He doesn't care if you remember them. Now, we don't know. Maybe Zechariah prayed the day before that Elizabeth would give birth. But I would suggest it's highly doubtful that that's been a recent prayer on his mind God shows up and is answering prayers really from a human perspective in an untimely matter, right? We would expect this to be answered a long time ago. Not now, but here God comes in His own timing, in His perfect timing, and says that Elizabeth's going to bear a son and His name will be John. That name... I love this verse because of what the name means. Yahweh has been gracious is what the name John means. Yahweh has been gracious. Then look at verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at His birth. Can you imagine? For He will be great before the Lord, and He must not drink wine or strong drink and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So when this baby is born, there's going to be joy and gladness. It's a sense where we, we, we see another picture of the curse being reversed in this moment. There's delight. There's gladness. In fact, if we were going to skip ahead to verse 57 of Luke 1, when John's actually born. Here's what it says. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. Of course they did. This is amazing what God is doing. But J.C. Ryle really, I thought, had such a good point. The birth of a child is a joyous time. It's especially joyous if someone's been trying for a long time and haven't been able to give birth. I think there's the sense where there's a greater appreciation for this child. But Ryle says, when's the greatest joy of a parent? Is it not when your children receive the Holy Spirit? When your children are born again? When John was born, 
He was born, He was conceived miraculously. God opened her womb and He came out with the Holy Spirit living inside of Him. It's like double joy at once. At His physical birth, there's, He comes out born again. You have that joy. It's the same, I think, for any parent to know when their child is trusting Christ and they're born again. The Holy Spirit is living in them. Look at verse 16. And He will turn. Here's what John will do. He'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So notice the word turn. And He'll go before Him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn, there it is again, the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Here's what John came to do to bring repentance. You want to know what turn means? It's to turn around, to uh, repent. You were walking this way, living for yourself in your sins, not by faith. And John comes and preaches that the Lord is coming. And he ends up preaching, there he is, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And he came to turn people around so that they would come to the Father's Savior, His Son that He sent. So what is the Lord doing? What it, I mean, He's when God changes hearts, when God gives the Holy Spirit, He makes families whole. You want to see the result of the curse? Just go into anyone's home. If, you, if we had a camera in all your homes and we got to See all the little scuffles. I got four little girls. I could show you thousands of them. Hearts need to be turned in families, by the way. Christ can be the one that can change our hearts. And John was preparing the way for Christ. That people's hearts could be changed. That Families could be changed. Marriages could be changed. And now I just want to give you a little bit. Rapid fire, what's all taken place so far? At the birth of John, John brings repentance and a turning. God enters the scene. He chooses Zechariah. I guess that should have been first. God speaks through Gabriel. God comforts. God gives life. God brings good news of God's grace. God brings joy and gladness. God gives the Holy Spirit. God will, through John, turn the hearts of the people to the Lord. When God enters the scene, I mean, you just can't exhaust all that's happening. The promised Holy Spirit's on the scene. The promised Messiah's on the scene. The promised forerunner's on the scene. The promised joy is on the scene. The promised life is on the scene. The promised reversing of the curse is on the scene. All in these little verses, when God shows up, all this happens. And then look at verse Uh, 18. Be certain of God's words. 
So not only be certain that God hears your prayers and keeps His promises. We just looked at how these prayers were answered. John, I mean, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they would have prayed for the Messiah and they would also have prayed for a son. And the Messianic age bursts forth (laughs) in the one answer. I mean, He answers the two in the one. It's unbelievable how God decided to work there. And then fourthly, let's be certain of God's Word. Look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I think this is kind of... <laughs> I, I don't know. When I, when I read this, it's kind of funny. How should I know this? This should, this will be true. Well, let me introduce myself. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Um, and you just saw me at his right hand. So at the, at the right hand of the altar. So maybe you should believe what I'm telling you, you know? That's a, it seems to be what he's saying here. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. And rather than instant rejoicing, what comes to a human being who's marred with sin? Doubt. You know what? That's what would happen to me too. Oh, how I wish my first inclination was just strong faith. Here Zachariah sees Gabriel. Oh man, how can this happen? Sarah's old. This isn't going to... You know, I mean, not Sarah, Elizabeth. He's already read the story of Sarah and Abraham, but he's doubting. And he says, Behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You see, there's certainty when God speaks, it's going to come true. When God speaks through a prophet or an angel, it's going to come true. It's absolutely going to come true. So he kind of gets a punitive uh, grace. You're not going to be able to speak. That's your punishment until she gives birth and then you're going to be able to speak and then you get a sign that it, I'm, I really do keep my word. Be certain of God's words. You know, this is commonplace in Israel at this time. When Jesus was doing his ministry, what were the crowds doing? Luke eleven twenty nine. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. There is no sign great enough for the doubting heart. There's no sign great enough. Remember when the rich man and Lazarus' story? Well, let me come back from the dead and go talk to my brothers. Or send Lazarus back from the dead. And he's like, no, they're not going to believe a dead man raised from the dead. Well, I found out when Christ was raised from the dead, what did they do? Instantly, well, they start paying people to say his body was stolen. The doubting heart of man. We have to fight. You know what? You want to know why we need to come to church Sunday morning? is because your faith in God's promises needs to be stronger. And looking at a story like this in God's Word that happened in history, 
builds your faith in God. That's why we got to read the Word. That's why we need to be in it. And then in verse 21, as we begin to finish up the story, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. They were just praying. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So you have this event. All of a sudden, it seems like Yahweh is on the move in Israel. And let's look at verse 24, and which brings up the last point. Be certain of God's gracious promises. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my approach among people. We don't know why she went under hiding for five months. Um, maybe they would, maybe they would have been ridiculed by this story that was going around. And until she had proof, till the baby was sticking out, <laughs> we don't know why she was hidden away for five months. But she was, and God's promise came true. God's grace, His gracious promise of sending John who his very name is telling us what God's doing. He's giving grace to humankind. Here's what I want you to think for a minute. Thousands of years have gone by since God gives this glimmer of hope in, in Genesis 3 that the serpent's head's going to be crushed. This glimmer of hope. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And yet God hadn't forgotten Zachariah and Elizabeth probably hadn't prayed in a long time for a baby, and yet God hadn't forgotten. And God was fulfilling His promises. And Luke wants us to know that God always fulfills His promises just as He says it. And here's the promise I have for you. The Bible is crystal clear. Man is rebellious against God. I don't care what you think of yourself. If you compare yourself to other people, you might think, well, I'm a pretty good guy. But if you take God's Word, what God says about man, Jesus, when He's just like teaching a principle, He says, if, if, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in Heaven? So Jesus just says it. We're evil. Rebellion against God, not believing God's Word, is evil. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They wanted to go on their words, not God's words. They wanted to live their life their way. And the Bible says in Adam and Eve, every human being after them was born sinful. In rebellion to God, doubting God's Word, doubting Him. But God promised there would be another human being that would come on the scene from the womb of a woman. And that person was Christ. What makes Jesus different than all of us 
is he never sinned once. God sent him to this earth. He's a God man. He lived a perfect life. The life you and I could never live. So that those who recognize, I have no hope. Jesus' own word says, eternal destruction in hell is what's waiting for anyone who rejects him. God has one plan to save sinners and it's to send his son to live a perfect life so that when he goes to the cross, he stands in your place. He dies for your sins to satisfy God's justice so that you can have his perfect life and so that you can be brought to God. John came to turn people's hearts to Christ so that they could be brought to God. You can have a relationship with God not by becoming good enough, not by any good works, but by trusting in God's Savior by faith. When you do that, God gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin in your life and makes Christ look glorious and a new battle begins inside you where you actually want to live for God's kingdom rather than your own. My prayer is is that you don't challenge God's Word. You can go out of here and you can say, I don't believe in hell. Well, God has a pretty good precedent of keeping His Word exactly how He said. He always keeps His promises. And I'm here to tell you, I'm making His appeal through my mouth. I'm pleading with you to come to the Savior. Your only hope. It's our only hope. And if you have come to the Savior, we have joy unspeakable. I say it a lot. On our worst day, the joy of Christ of eternal life can never be taken from us. Praise God that He's a God of grace that keeps His promises. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. It's just amazing how patient You are to bring about Your purposes. Father, it's amazing how gracious You are to come to save sinners, those who spit in Your face, those who are in rebellion against You. We thank You so much for Christ. We thank You so much for entering the scene of our lives and acting before we were even born so that we might be saved. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.